I thought I'd take a different take on uh, today's episode. It's going to be kind of like a spotlight episode. And it is one of our first, uh, it is actually our first yeah, politician for the season to be on uh, this show. Of course, we've had plenty of them come here through the years. But if I were going to do a first one for this season, this coming election season, it might be might as well be the guy that I most want to win. Please welcome on the show, Chel Giorno. Hi, Chel. Welcome to the podcast. Nice to have you here. Hi, Mo, and uh, thank you for having me. Hello to everyone who's uh, watching and listening. Yeah, Chel, you were on the radio show the other day, so you're going to probably hear some of the same comments and questions. It's a different kind of audience, but I have uh, new stuff that I wanted to ask you as I let your radio guesting with us on Good Times. Obviously, this is Good Times, the podcast. You were on Good Times, the radio show. And... As I let the interview kind of marinate in my head, I thought, you know, maybe ask a couple more things uh, if you don't mind here on the podcast. The number one question I get, Chell, let me just get straight into it, is um, why you decided to run independently. And maybe you can, because I'm sure you've gotten this question a million times, and I'm sure every single freaking episode that you do has this question though it's the number one thing people want to know why are you going to run as an independent but i also want to know what you thought think about the 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 advantages and the disadvantages of running as independent i think when people hear independent they think oh no no machinery means no money oh no no unif you know you know unified uh campaigning where maybe you're not as well known to one other guy's fan base but because you guys are on the same party you're going to steal some of those votes or you're going to at least be benefiting from those votes maybe steal is a bad word when you, when you you know to use in an election but what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of going independent why'd you do it you know we have a very fragmented political landscape especially when you speak of the opposition but even when you speak of the pro-administration um, parties and there are distinct advantages in in being independent because you can become a guest candidate of um, many different political parties. And given what we have today and and the situation that we're facing, I think there are really a lot of advantages to to doing that. You know, it it was very difficult for us in 2019 because that was a midterm election. And the local government officials were very aware that the administration would remain in power for another three years. But this time around, um, it's um, really in a very, how would you say, amorphous uh, situation where <laughs> those who were previously very supportive of the administration now are lambasting it. Yes. And then right. you have the other side where uh, even those who are part of the administration have taken um, uh, different positions in terms of who they will support for 2022. Kaya sa tingin ko, mas maganda pa nga yung independent tayo eh. Do you, can you pinpoint any disadvantages of running as independent? Is, is your, uh, I'm sure you have a team, right, helping you strategize this campaign. Did, was there a 50-50 kind of feel to it and then eventually you went or you knew independent right away because, because of the advantages you just talked about? There was no, really no debate about it. I think it was clear to all of us that that was the way to go. However, I am not closing the door to um, any situations that may come up in, in yeah. the weeks to come. You know, this is the, the situation now is so fluid that um, things really can change from day to day, especially because the filing of certificates of candidacy are, started today, actually, and right. the end That's of right. next week. So we will know by the end of next week um, who's going to stand where. 
you know, you brought it up a little while ago and just kind of jumping off that last statement, uh, people who are administration allies, uh, you know, allies to Digong, who have kind of either turned their back or slowed their support for him. Some of the big names, obviously Isko because he's running for president, Lakson, Soto, Pacquiao himself, who could be maybe uh, labeled as a front runner for their position. Pimentel, all of these guys that had the, the you know the president's back now have turned their backs on him. What does that what does that say to you uh, as just a normal citizen, right? Of how these people behave because I know it's just politics, but at the same time, to me, it's so core character. You know, it it, it speaks a lot about who you are as a person, and maybe that this is more a game than it is a calling. I, I'm not associating too much the presidency or running for Senate as some kind of holy, holy divine uh, job. But it is like core character is really important for me. And when I see these guys turn their backs, I think they're just playing a game and they're in it for themselves. I'd, rather, I'd like to see a little bit of stand behind your word type of behavior. Yeah, you know, it, it's a bit sad that um, politics has, has gone to this level. I remember... In my dad's time, for example, there was a lot more, it was a lot more principled. And yep. he, for example, the, the issue of jumping parties, while, while there were a, f- a few politicians who did change parties, even in the 1950s and 60s, it wasn't like it is today. And part of that, I guess, was also because we had a very distinct two-party system where, you, you know, the lines were drawn from the very start. We have now operate under a multi-party system without any legal prohibitions on jumping from one party to another. So it's so easy for a politician to turn his back on someone they were supporting before. Uh, some of these guys uh, and girls, of course, women, men and women who are going to be, I asked you this on the radio, if you win, they're going to be with you uh, in the Senate. You're going to be have you're going to have to work with them nearly uh, every single time you guys are together on getting you know bills and and whatever hearings, how do you stomach being able to work with people that you know are somewhat responsible for the state of the nation? Um, to me, this is a question I've always asked politicians on the show, especially senators, because there's quite a few of you that sit next to each other and almost kind of pave the way for how the Philippines will, will run in years to come. How do you, how will you able to stomach working with people that you know kind of purposely hurt our country? You know, it will be a challenge. It will be a challenge for any senator because there, there will always be people that they don't get along with, whether it's by principle or by personality. Yeah. Um, one advantage I have, however, is that because I've been a trial lawyer for so many years, you know, I've had to rub elbows with judges and other lawyers whom I may not exactly like or agree with. There are some that I know are not exactly nice people at all. But you have to learn how to work with them because that's your job as a lawyer. And it's the same thing as a senator. You, you just have to focus on, on what you got, what you have to do yeah. as a senator. Yeah. Uh, I know you've been big with... Obviously, human rights, it's its probably the number one issue that uh, you are most passionate about. Can I say that? Or most defined by, identified with? I know there's probably a lot of things that you're interested in. But when you hear Chel Jokno, you think you think human rights uh, <laughs> right away. Um, 
how do you know? Do you have the accurate count of how many Filipinos have died uh, due to human rights violations, specifically on the war on drugs? I know it's in the thousands. I've been so passionately against this war on drugs. I don't even know if we have a real, really have a drug problem, which I want to ask you because I've been saying that for years here. I, I, we have a poverty problem. We've got a corruption problem. We've got a lot of other problems. I'm not even sure drugs is one of them. I mean, I guess every country has a drug problem. And I'm going to say that we're a clean country, but to to kill these many people for under the banner of drugs, I thought was really just awful. Do you know what the death toll is already now as we are cleaning up here in 2021? There's no exact number because after 2017, the government stopped um, keeping tabs on it, or at least they stopped publishing the number. But I will tell you that because we have a case pending in the Supreme Court, there was a resolution issued by the court a couple of years ago where they said that based on an accomplishment report of the Office of the President, from June of 2016 up to November of 2017, there were 20,322 Filipinos killed in the war on drugs. So that's only a period of something like 17 months, if that's my right. arithmetic yeah. is yeah. right. Yeah, that's crazy. So if, if, you, if you add what from that time until now, I would say it's easily 25,000, maybe more. Yeah, I mean, if it's 25,000, then they've slowed down considerably, right? If they've kept pace, we're talking upwards of maybe 50, 60, 70, 80,000. Like, that's just outrageous numbers. So I don't know if they've slowed down in murdering their own people. But um, just to kind of ask a little bit, that that second part of the question, what's your take on how bad of a drug problem uh, that we actually had. And I know we're taking things, issues here that started five years ago, but it's still very much in circulation, right? Was there a problem that needed this kind of response? Well, I, I think it's been exaggerated by this administration because the, their very own Dangerous Drugs Board uh, put the estimate, I don't recall the exact figure, but I think um, it's something like 1.9 million Filipinos have tried drugs at least once. So that that's like not a figure that indicate <laughs> the that's not a figure that would even indicate the actual number of users, but just those who have tried right. some, any kind of drug once. However, the president in several pronouncements uh, put the figure up by times three. He he said it was something like four million, and but I don't want to to devalue the the issue. It's, right. there, there really is a worldwide problem about illegal drug syndicates operating all over. Right, and, right. and really, you know, supplying drugs to different uh, countries, that there, th- that is a problem, and it must be addressed. But uh, like you, I, I am really concerned about how the government is doing it, and also at the number of people who are being killed. Because how can you want to address this? You go after the big fish. Sure, sure. You you have to do that. You need to cooperate with other governments if you want to identify yeah. and, and prosecute them. What do you think? Going back to your, sorry, no, going no, back no. to your question about how, you know, the killings. Um, we've noticed that the killings have changed over time, the kind of killings. If you recall, at the early part of the war on drugs, we, there were a lot of people who were found dead in the streets very blatantly with signs on their bodies. That changed later on to people um, not anymore being killed like that, but just entering um authorities entering their houses or other gunmen and them being killed there. 
then it transformed into riding in tandem na maraming pinapatay ng mga nakamotorsiklo. And then it transformed into um, people just being abducted. Yeah. Taken yeah. out from there where they live or where they stay and then either not being found anymore or being found in other places. So the, the, the patterns have really changed over time. And that is a bit concerning because it shows how much um, impunity there is in terms of killing in right, our country. Right. Um, I, I've said this uh, quite a bit that I'm more scared of the police now than ever. Uh, this show, Chell, unfortunately gets quite a few stories uh, almost weekly of heinous things that have been done, especially to women. Uh, you can imagine what, what some of these calls must be about. And... You know, it has brought me to tears. We get this a lot. This is an advice show, Chell. I'm assuming you've not heard it because you're probably very busy to just kind of listen to a podcast of, of, of this kind. But we get a lot of calls. And unfortunately, some awful things sometimes happen to, to people who call the show. And they're looking for some just some an ear to listen to, uh, some kind of advice, some kind of direction. And I, I got to be honest, going to the police when they're victims of heinous crimes sometimes isn't even the number one option, the number two option, number three option on the show that we give. And it's unfortunate. That's the level of faith that so many people have in the PNP and then in the military. Um, it, it feels like a dictatorship. Would, would, you, would you classify this by definition, what, what the president has done with the military? Is there a political term that most resembles what we have going on right now for us just to educate us? This is what this is. Well, you know what's happened is we have replaced justice from judges with justice from the barrels of guns. And that wasn't what was uh, our experience for the last 45 years. That's how it was during the Marcos dictatorship. But ever since that time, we we did away with that and, and we really resorted to getting justice from the courts. But once the war on drugs unfolded, it was very clear that the judge, the jury, and the executioner were the people who had the firearms yeah. to dispense what they call their version of justice. It's sad in many ways, especially for me as a lawyer, because you know I've I've dedicated my whole life to to getting justice from the courts and seeing it happen on the street in that manner is is so disconcerting. Now. It, I, I'm sure, I, well, I have an idea of how it feels for you to receive those calls because I have a, a legal help desk, a free legal help desk, where we've received in the last five or six months more than 13,000 questions from ordinary Filipinas. And their questions sometimes involve killing, sexual abuse, and, and really some of the most, the cruelest kind of conduct. And it's very hard for me Aside from that, as a human rights lawyer, I receive a lot of you know, people come to me and ask for help in, in so many different kinds of crimes. And it's really hard also to, for an EJK victim, for example, what can I say? Go to the police. Eh, yeah, you can't. You can't. Yeah, they, yeah. they can't. So finding justice in our country is, has become so elusive if you're talking about getting real justice from, from the courts, there, where it should be coming from. How does that how does, how does that strike confidence in any citizen to do to 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 make a legal move like if they've been a victim of any whether civil criminal like if the if the justice system is so poor 
it's so rotten. Like, what do we? What would the ordinary citizen do right now? I mean, we can't wait, right? We can't wait for something to change. If I wanted to do something right now, if I've been wronged, whether, again, whether civilly, uh, Chell, like, well, what's the move? Can, can I file a case and expect it to be done in a reasonable amount of time without the other party paying off the judge? Like, what's what's your confidence level right now in the justice system? You know, that's one of the reasons why I decided to enter into the arena of politics because I realized that despite no matter how much I fight this out in court, uh, the system itself will not change. Yeah, it, it requires a push from the outside. It requires some measure of political power to make the system work better. For example, uh, let me just give you one example. Yeah, yeah. That's simple. We have a very low conviction rate. Only like three out of 10 people charged with crimes actually get convicted. So I was very curious. I said, Bakit ganon? Why, why, do, why is that so? And then I discovered that there's a big disconnect between our law enforcers and our prosecutors. They're supposed to work hand in hand to put people behind bars. That's their job, right? But what happens is the police work separately from the prosecutors. They'll investigate the case. They'll identify someone they believe is the one who did it, and then file a complaint against him or her. And then they think that their job is done. Yeah. So that when the case reaches the prosecutor, he will say, Nasa no evidence? Where's the evidence I need to, to put these people behind bars? Even if you know they're guilty, you need evidence to prosecute them, right? And to convict yeah, them. Yeah. And that doesn't happen. So it's just one simple tweak. You simply require that um, in major crimes, prosecutors work hand in hand with the law enforcement from the moment the crime is committed. That's all you need to do. And that will ensure a higher conviction rate. Systemic issues natin. Another another big issue, okay. A lot of cases we, we really have uh, crowded dockets in court. Yeah. You know, I have one experience. I went to court one time. I got there at eight thirty in the morning. I looked at the court calendar. There were like sixty, six zero cases set for that morning. So I was computing it. I said, okay, we have three and a half hours divided by 60 cases. I wonder how long this is going to take for the judge to deal with all the cases. And I was like number 47 in that that morning. (laughs) So the judge came in late. And by the time he finished calling all the cases, it was already 11 o'clock in the morning. They adjourn at 12. And so he says, okay, counsels. How many of you are ready to present witnesses? So we raise our hand. We're four lawyers, four groups of lawyers. And he says, okay, you have four. We have four cases for trial today. We have one hour. You have 15 minutes each to present a witness. It usually takes about an hour or 30 minutes to to present one witness. And yet we were given 15 minutes. You know, it took us, it took me like, years just to finish presenting my evidence. So again, I said, Bakit ganon? it turns out that we really lack judges. Like we have a vacancy rate of something like 20%. Why? Wait, they, why, do we, why, do, why do we lack judges? I mean, it, exactly. That was also my question. I said, the, the pay is okay already. They raised the salaries. It's a, it's a prestigious position. But there's a, a, a um, cloud system of 
appointing judges. It's become highly political, politicized. Gotcha, gotcha. So that if you don't have the right backers, your papers will not move. Yep. So even yep. if there are many who want to apply and want to get uh, to become a judge, not it's it's a slow, painful process to get appointed. Okay, so how how does a Chel Jokno change that though? Like, how does a you know how does a guy how does voting for you having you at a at in a Senate position help change that? Well, one proposal I have is let's take some cases out of the courts. For example, business disputes. Yung, yung sinasabi nila na pera-pera lang yan. Yeah. Those are better decided by arbitration. Arbitration is yeah. a very simple process. Yeah. If you and I have a, are, are, have a dispute, we choose our judge. So you don't have to rely on a court-appointed judge. We decide, okay, we have a list, let's say, of 20 possible arbitrators, and we'll agree on three. So, okay, we both say, okay, ito na ang judge natin. They, we cannot complain later na bias yung judge o binayaran kasi tayo ang pumili ng judge. Eh. And then the law is, after they decide, there's only one appeal straight to the Supreme Court. So you cut through all those layers right, of right, courts. Right. Your case is quickly resolved. And that's what business people need. They need predictability. One reason why we can't attract foreign investors into the country is they're afraid. If they get into trouble here, into legal trouble, They'll get caught in a court case for 20 years. Yeah, How yeah, can they do this? It's fucking madness, right. right. So th- that alone to me, that, that doing that alone is going to decongest courts, remove the temptation for corruption, and speed up cases in the country. Really, really quickly here, Chow, back to your first point, though, regarding the disconnect between uh, law enforcers and, and the prosecutors. Should we then have a higher stand? Because obviously... Legal education in the Philippines is, is, from what I hear, top-notch, right? Daminat in law schools. You said that on the radio show that we have more law schools than any other country in the world. So we are firing out highly educated uh, lawyers, right? But are, is the bar to be a police officer, for example, so low that there's just really an intellectual gap so, so large between the legal system and the people that enforce it that it's just hard to work with them? Like if you're asking cops for evidence, police officers for evidence, but they don't even know what evidence is or they have a very, very, very small um, knowledge of the law, is, is that where most of that disconnect? Do we need to just up the standard of what it, what's required to be a policeman? That's part of it. And, and the training also is we need to really get it up to par because I've encountered a lot. You know, there are some good guys in, in the in law enforcement. There are some really, really good uh, people there. But um, by and large, many of them are just unaware of what the legal requirements are for yeah. to to get uh, people convicted. And that's sad because they, they do want to help. I mean, some of them at least. And they just don't have the, the know-how, the expertise to, to really do it right. Gotcha. Um, Chell Jokno, of course, here on the uh, podcast tonight or today, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening to the show. You know, Chell, we're starving for likable politicians. And I think you have really skyrocketed uh, in popularity amongst the demographic of people on this show. Uh, Woke Lolo was a very <laughs> popular thing uh, with you. Kick, how do you explain a guy that I, I'll be honest, I, I never heard of you um, when you first ran for the Senate. And I looked at you, and the first thing I did is, okay, let me let me see what this guy's about. Went on YouTube, 
you know, kind of got my online. That's the only exposure I have of Chell at that time. And I said, okay, that's a very decent man. I can tell he's a decent man and a likable guy. And all of a sudden, popularity and, and you know, your name was, was kind of circulating. We're starving for guys like you. Um, how do you explain this surge for yourself, uh, your own personal surge in popularity with a demographic like this? Well, I think part of it is the fact that I've become really more comfortable in this uh, arena. You know, I really went out of my comfort zone when I ran in 2019. That was not my cup of tea. I was used to appearing in court and uh, teaching in a classroom. That was my audience before. When I would lecture before a crowd, it would be lawyers or law students. So adjusting to life as a politician really was a super big challenge for me. And I think it showed in 2019. I think that the awkwardness, the, the feeling of not being comfortable in, in that role uh, was was there. But now, I, you know, I've been doing this for several years already. I, I have a very good team. And I think we understand now that messaging is so important. That's why uh, we realized that we needed to find ways to reach as big uh, a segment of the population as possible. So we started working, trying out different social media platforms. I and, see uh, on TikTok. TikTok. Do you really enjoy that? Sorry, Charles, to cut you off. But do you really enjoy that? Or is it just part of, I understand I have to do this. I know I have to do this. But, you know, it's it's funny. People like it. But do you like it? You know, in the beginning, it was something very different for me. Especially, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm supposed to be serious and all that. But after a while, I got into it. And it's I, I actually look forward to it. You know, we, we discuss how to, to get the message across on TikTok. Right, right. We experiment with different things. And um, I like it. It's it's a lot of fun. Are you an introvert or, or no? You're, I, mean, I wonder if an introvert can be a politician. Would you consider yourself one? I mean, you seem like a well-mannered guy, but is there is there a wild side or is there a loud side? Is there a fun side? And not saying that you're not fun, no, Chell, but you get my point, right? Is there a party animal, Chell, or or would you even dare call yourself slightly introverted? No, I, I admit that um, my background is really someone who was an introvert um, yeah. for much of my young life. As a child, you know, I love books. I would, I would really... Uh, rather uh, read books than go out and play, you know. But after a while, I, I also got into um, a lot of social activities. You know, I, I learned to love playing basketball. I would bike, and we had barcadas in, in the, the subdivision where I lived. And it's, I guess, I, I would consider myself a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. There are times when I can really just enter a capsule, and you know, as a lawyer, just concentrate on doing some job for it for hours or days. And there are times when I, I really do enjoy uh, mixing with people. It's um, that that aspect of me is probably what didn't show a lot in, in 2019. Yeah, but, but it still doesn't explain. And, and, and I, I, you still haven't answered. What is the, what do you think is the reason why you got so popular? Like you got so much energy behind your name and it wasn't from you hard selling yourself it was from social media the people the educated crowd the young crowd loved you and 
and and I think that's going to carry over into this election and maybe with more force because you're a more recognizable name now to them. But how do you can you explain why you thought this happened? Like was it somewhat of a phenomenon? I mean, you you got 6 million votes more or less, right? Uh, six upwards of 6 million. I think you told me the other day a senator probably needs about 16 million to win. So you're we're quite a bit away, but Six million is still six million for some a relatively unknown, a relatively low key. You're not you don't come from a political dynasty or anything like that. So to get six million, I think was actually a positive that you can kind of carry over into the next election. But how do you how do you even get six million? Like you were really you had some force behind your name. <laughs> I, I don't know how I, I got six million. We just really worked as hard as we could. I, I I hardly really got any sleep during that campaign, but you know it's funny. What what I think boosted my my awareness and my popularity was when no less than the president one evening started castigating my teeth. <laughs> that sort of <laughs> that sort of you know um, that made people wonder. Even people who didn't know me at all, who is this guy, and why is the president so angry at him? Yeah. Yeah, and so they started to search me on, on the internet and, and so forth. And the way I responded was, well, you know, okay, lang yun. Eh. Kailangan ng nangipin naman ng batas natin, eh. so I don't <laughs> mind being that. Um, and I think they were enamored with the, that kind of response. Na hindi yeah, ako yeah. napikon, hindi right, ako right, galit. Right, right. I took it in stride and, and in fact used it uh, to push my own advocacy. Is that true? Did you really feel, you didn't feel bad when he brought out your teeth? Because I mean, I think everybody, it's only human, right? To, if somebody <laughs> calls out a physical feature, the first thing you do is cover your mouth, go, oh my God. You know, you, you didn't do any of that? You're like, oh, whatever, who cares? You know, that that night, it so happened that I had my ringer off. Yeah. And I I, I just got, went to sleep early. I don't usually sleep that early, but that night, I, when I woke up the next morning, I had like 50 calls, so many messages. Everyone was trying to reach me. And I'm like, what, what's happening? You know, yeah, yeah. I had no idea what, what was happening. And they were all like, you have to do something. You have to respond. You know, and I said, wait a minute, you know, let's just chill and, and figure out what, how we, let me know first what happened. So I watched the thing and I, oh, okay. So <laughs> does your dentist feel bad, like, on that day? For example, now maybe your dentist is, like, really proud. Like, I, I'm Chel Jokno's dentist. But maybe that first day that Digong uh, said that about you, but I'm feeling like dentist one was like, Wait a minute! <laughs> That's my guy. You're just you're, you're you're saying something bad about my work, but now probably you have dentists who are trying to align themselves with you. You should if there's a dentist union or a dentist coalition, you should like tap into them, Chell, and kind of you know capitalize on this whole teeth thing. And in around the world, I think they'll all unite against. I mean, for you against the president, but. Yeah, did you call your dentist and you go, oh, Doc, sorry, I'm a joke. We never had the chance to talk then. Pero baka naman may, may mga gusto magtayo ng dentist for chill. That would be really great. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. Capitalize on that stuff. Um, I said it earlier, okay, the likable politicians. Like, there's Vico Soto, for example, is a very 
popular, same energy as yours, right? Same youthful energy. Uh, obviously, he's a younger guy than you, but when I say the, the younger people love him, I, th- I, th- I worry that he's, he might be slightly overrated, but I've never met the guy, and I would like to maybe sit down with him. I think Isco is slightly getting an overrated push of energy as well. Uh, I've known Isco for, for years. I've had him here on this podcast. He strikes me as a slightly not as genuine of a guy these days as his own brand starts to pick up in politics. Um are you worried, and I'm not even sure you can name names, but are you worried that we might get a second dose of Duterte here somehow? I mean, I know Sarah hasn't really said she was going to run, right? That she was going to go back to the uh, her mayorship, I think, in, in, in Davao. But there are guys like Lakson, who a couple of years ago had a double murder case himself, who fled the country, came back, became a likable guy for how, I don't, I don't know how the fuck that happened. But are you worried that some of these guys might just be part two or are you feeling really excited that in the next couple of what half a year, eight months, 10 months, this is the last of the, of Digong and his influence that we're going to see in the country. I am a bit worried about the situation and, and that's one of the reasons why I really believe the opposition should unite mm-hmm. and, and back uh, just one slate because if, if we don't get their act together, it could happen that um, this kind of administration will continue. Worldwide, it's Good Times with Mo, the podcasts. Have a question? Message Mo on Twitter or Instagram at DJ Mo Twister. Or check out GTWM Podcast on Facebook. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Worldwide, it's Good Times with Mo, the podcast's have a question? Message Mo on Twitter or Instagram at DJ Mo Twister. Or check out GTWM Podcast on Facebook. Back from a break here, Chell. Um, what do you think is going to happen to Digong with the ITC, the the International uh, Criminal Court, International Courts Regarding Human Rights? Is, is, that, uh, is that a serious thing when they look, look into you and they look into his administration uh, or is that really something that a leader of a country doesn't have to really worry about? Well, actually, the International Criminal Court has prosecuted and convicted several uh, nations' leaders, um, a number of them from Africa. I think yeah. this is the first time that they're looking into an Asian leader uh, in terms of uh, Duterte. Do they have and- a strong case against them? It's still at the very early stage. It, yeah. the, the, the the court had just recently approved the request of the prosecutor to conduct a formal investigation. But that is a big step. That's the first time that's happened in mm-hmm. this part of the world. Now, whether there is enough evidence, I think if they can gather the evidence, it's there. Yeah. The big question is how they will be able to do that especially since our government has said they will not allow any investigators to come in and they will not cooperate with them. But, um, you know, there are so many ways now. We're we're virtual. I'm sure evidence can be submitted electronically. Testimony can be taken online. And so if they 
uh, what I know of them is they do a very thorough job. So we'll have to see how far this case will go. I think it's a good thing that we have, that we had, uh, we were part of that treaty because it's a way of ensuring accountability. The, the problem in our country, uh, you know, talking about justice is when you put the, the, the most powerful person in a court in the Philippines, chances are they will be able to wield some measure of influence and they will be able to somehow shape the outcome of the case. Yeah. And if they don't, if they get convicted, for example, like what happened to Arab, there's nothing to stop the next president from pardoning them. We have a court outside the country that could, you know, really exact accountability. But uh, unfortunately, this government had withdrawn prospectively from that uh, big court. So yeah. while they have jurisdiction over the acts that were committed until 2019, any acts committed after 2019 are already out of their jurisdiction. Gotcha. Are you worried, um, as we get closer to the election, of election fraud, uh, do you, are there worries for you personally, and is it something that we should be terrified about as well, or is the system improved quite a bit through the years? You know what? What really bothers me is the practice of vote buying. Yeah. In 2019, it really went into horrendous proportions, where you would it was unheard of amounts. Before, you know, in 2016, 20, the earlier elections, you would hear of maybe being paid 500 pesos, 1,000 yeah. pesos. But in 2019, we heard amounts like 10,000 per voter. Oh, wow. Wow. Big. Wow. Or really? Even if you say it's 5,000, that's still how many voters are you talking about? Yeah. So money was, from what the reports we gathered, money was really flowing. And that can really affect the outcome of an election. I'm not too worried about the, the computerized election count because there are safeguards there yeah and every party has their own watchers if there are discrepancies between the votes transmitted electronically and the votes counted in that particular precinct mahalata naman yan eh. there could there could be some little monkey business there but i don't think they can do it wholesale like millions of votes it's it's very hard to do that so do you think it'll affect you, the, the vote buying, or is that more, say, provincial type of uh, politics? Do you think you would be able to, or, or maybe some of your opponents will be able to vote by and kind of affect your run, your campaign? Well, generally, that, that's um, locals, districts, and, and govern, you know, provincial posts that are involved. But what I have been told is that yung Candidato nila sa national. So it's part of the bargain. I'll give you so much and you vote for these people. Right, right, right. Yeah. How much money you got to run here? I mean, without saying the amount of the exact amount, right? I don't know if that's private, but do you can you run with the big with the big dogs here uh, who who've got quite a bit of financial backing? Or is this going to be the um gosh what's what's the term here the bargain the bargain campaign right the, the cheap the cheapest the cheapest we will see from a from a true contender well indeed man i think that um compared to 2019 we will be able to muster more resources this yeah. this time around 2019 was really what i would call a, a shoestring budget yeah 
But I think this time around, and, and given the situation as well, uh, there are, even now, we're, we're receiving more support than we were getting before. And we're also exploring other um, non-traditional ways of raising funds. Because, you know, with the pandemic, with so many businesses affected, the, the typical um, people who give, who donate to, to political campaigns, some of them were badly hit. Some of their businesses were badly hit. So they may not be able to uh, deliver like they used to. Yeah. You know, I, you know, if you don't really know politics very much, and not a lot of people do, right? Uh, even I just, uh, just, I think maybe I'm confident about with just a handful of knowledge how the political sphere works. But it's easy to go, okay, so Chell, you want to run for the Senate. Uh, we've had Cheese on the show, and Cheese said, you know, at least $250 million, uh, $300 million. Maybe you'd feel comfortable with a $500 million peso budget to run for the Senate. Oh, well, that's impossible to get that kind of money without getting it from people who have a special interest in your position, that when you get elected, you're going to do them special favors. How do you get out of that mindset? Like, how do you educate people? Like, okay, that's not what I'm about. That exists, but that's not Chel Jokno. No, one of the things we want to do is really to democratize the, the raising of funds for campaigns, as they do in other countries. And there are already mechanisms available to do that both online and, and offline. Um, years ago, if you recall, when Senator René Sagisag first ran for the Senate, there was this campaign, uh, parang piso para kay René. And yeah. it, was a, it was a way of, of raising awareness. It was a way of getting people to invest in the candidate without the candidate owing them anything in return. Because if you're given, for example, $100 million by some big-ticket person then, of course, the tendency is you're going to owe that person yeah. big time. Yeah, yeah. And when the time comes, they're going to collect on, on that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right? And it's not something I, it's not a position I really want to be in because that wasn't the real purpose I ran. You know, if I were, if I had that kind of political ambition, I would have run for office right, right. maybe 20 years ago. Sure. But do you do you get those? Do you get the offers from say big ticket donor do, uh, donators who are asking, "Hey, tell, I'm going to give you a hundred million. Not, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> no questions asked right now. But you know, are you turning stuff like that down? Well, I wish I had that dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell you something about my my own experience as a lawyer. Um, I I know a lot. I, because I practice so often, you know, I, I encounter a lot of stories from other lawyers about corruption, where even the judges themselves ask the lawyers for money. Yeah, yeah. They want to win your case, you have to deliver. But I, I, in all my 30 plus years of going to court, I have never ever been um, asked by anyone, to, by a judge to, to pay them. And I've never ever been offered a bribe. So, you know, sometimes I would think about it and I say, how come? Then I think I realized that my, my father's reputation probably preceded me. Sure, sure. Because he was known as such a stand-up guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. they must have figured it's not worth um, even offering this guy. You can get in trouble, yeah. 
I've had my share of death threats. I've had right, my right. share. I'm of, sure of that. Of I'm sure that right, sort of right, thing. Right, right. But uh, never those offers of, of lots of money. For, how, how many cases so. do you think you lost due to corruption? Like you knew you had a strong case, a case that was what you lawyers call slam dunk, and then lo- ending up losing it. And you're like, you know, nobody had judge. I'm sure of it. <sighs> Have you ever well, lost a case like that? I mean, yes. Uh, you know, it's okay. When you handle human rights cases, which are a lot of my cases, gotcha. sometimes okay. it's not money that is given as consideration. Uh, sometimes it's simply fear because the other side is a very powerful right, person right, right. or powerful agency involved. So the judges uh, may not be, you know, may not be brave enough to say, I'm going to rule in favor it's of, inti- of They're this. just intimidated, right? Yeah. Yeah. But in I do handle also paying cases, you know, yeah. clients who, who can afford. And that's where really where that kind of right, you know, corruption issues come into play. When it's when you have companies fighting each other, don't talaga that young. That's uh, I've heard stories of um, what they call yung namamang kasa dalawang ilog, yeah. where yeah. Yeah, they will take money from one side and then the other side will double it and now suddenly right. the right. the judge is ruling in favor of the other side. And that's why I was proposing that we remove those kinds of cases from the courts and we put them into arbitration because But how I mean this people. it'll get too technical, right, maybe for our audience, but how would that change in arbitration? Like can't you just do the I mean, again quickly, Joe, because I know this I don't want to get too technical, but how would arbitration change that anyway? Can't you just behave the same way with the judge that you both have selected can't, can't that judge because in the end it's the judges who are accepting the money if if they're going to accept more from one side versus the other side how does the cha- how does the system change in the first place the arbitrators receive a much higher compensation than a typical judge because they get a percentage of the amount involved there's already an existing mechanism for that we have it in the construction industry yeah i've had cases there where you have, let's say, a 300 million peso project, nagawa yung corporations, they go to that court, uh, that arbitration, and the arbitrators typically are highly respected members of their profession. They earn a lot, and they get paid a lot for deciding that case. So there's very little incentive for them to to be corrupt because they're 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 already made. I don't know, so, man. Chell, chell. Listen, you're you're the expert, okay? But I don't think corruption has ever stopped a politician, for example, to get richer, right? <laughs> I mean, or at least the compensation to stop a, a polit- politician to get more corrupt. I feel like people are just inherently greedy, and if you can get more, you're going to get more. Uh, but again, you're you're the expert. I, I'm not gonna. I don't want to. I don't want to. Let me put it this way: in that in in the construction industry, they've been doing this for decades, and I've never heard of that kind of corruption there. Okay. So unlike in, okay. in the courts. I yeah. believe you. I believe you. Chell, what's the ego like for a lawyer of your stature? Um, do you walk in the courtroom? Because I also know you're a professor, you're dean, right? Uh, you still teach, if I'm, in fact, right? What, twice a week, I heard, uh, online these days. Well, what's, what's the Chell ego like when you walk into a courtroom? Is it, I am Michael Jordan, I am Kobe Bryant, I am LeBron James, <laughs> I am the best at what I do, you're... When I walk in, because a lot of these um, type A personality guys, the, the first person who comes to mind is Fortune. What's his name? Is it Ray, uh, 
Raymond. Raymond429. I remember I was on Twitter some years back, and I I, I don't like the, the chest-pumping thing too much, but I th- found it to be very comedic. He had a bad experience. I don't know if it was PAL, Cebu PAC, one of the airlines. I think they canceled this flight, so he was really, really upset. And he went on to Twitter. And again, sorry, airlines, if you're listening. I don't recall which one it was, so I'm just going to use you as an example. So he's like, you know, Philippine Airlines, Cebu Pacific, whatever. He's like, you delayed my flight, blah, 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 this. I am going to sue you. Bring your best lawyers. It does not matter. <laughs> I am who I am, and you're going to get crushed. You know, that kind of machismo, that kind of, you know, do, do you have that when you walk in the courtroom? Like, I'm Chell, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Well, ibang dating ko. I I I think I carry what I would describe as quiet confidence. Okay. <laughs> the judges know me. They know my reputation. They know I won't back down. Yep. And they respect me for that. They they also know I have integrity, so they know I can't be bought. And yeah, I always tell young lawyers, you know, your reputations precede you. If you don't prepare your cases, if you don't know what you're doing. Judges will take advantage of you. So you yeah, got to yeah. go in there and be really with the attitude that, all right, I, I understand you're the king of this courtroom, but uh, I'm not going to back down to you. Gotcha. That's my attitude. How, what's your attitude as a professor, though? I mean, are you ruthless? Are you, <laughs> no, are you terror? No, no, no. Do you strike fear in the, not just in the courtroom, but in the hearts of your students? Like, what, what are you like as a, as a professor? Do people get, are people scared to have you as, as, their, as their prof? Well, let me say, by and large, I, I'm much kinder than other law professors. Okay, which, which doesn't mean that there are times when I'm not when I'm hard on my students because there are situations where they really have to learn yeah. certain things. And one thing that I really push them hard on is, hey, these are basic things you have to know this. Yeah. So when I realized na hindi nila alam, well, sorry, pero you're gonna, she might get it from me. But you know, I, I have a, a, I, I empathize a lot with mm-hmm. law students because it is so difficult. Yeah. In my time, we only had to study like a fraction of the material that law students study now. They are undamming laws, undamming cases. So I, I try to understand that when I teach. But don't they have more access to information, though, because, say, of the internet than maybe... Because when I, when I was a student, I went to La Salle, when I was a student, we minimal internet, very minimal, right? So everything is really library, looking at books and all that stuff. Do you think law students have it easier now because access to information is so quick? In, someone, in one respect, yes, they can easily get cases, not, not like we have to line up in the library right, and right, fight right, over right. The, the decisions. But it, it, the number of cases they have to read is like, 10 times the number oh, of cases gotcha. we had to read. And the, the the law has really expanded. We never had the data privacy. We never had cyber crime. Sure, sure. We never had like DNA evidence. You know, these are very technical science-based laws. If you don't understand the technical side of it, you could get lost in, in that field. One of the, one of the, I'll wrap up this whole education, law education stuff in, in a second here, but one of the, Issues that comes out every year, every other year, is when when a law student dies uh, because of fraternity violence, stuff like that. I've always been strongly against it, but it seems like every law student jumps into it. What is your take on frats? Is it necessary to succeed in this industry, in your field? 
if you're part of a fraternity, you have to be like you have to be there or or uh, everywhere from the guy you're going up against, uh, the lawyer you're going against, all the way up to the judge. If you guys are in line fraternity wise, then it's going to be easy for you, and you have to have that. Um, what's your take on that, real quick? Before and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. I myself don't belong to any fraternity. I, I never saw the need for it, and I don't think it's good for the legal profession. Absolutely, yeah. I would rather that uh, you know you try cases on the merits, and you don't need these fraternal organizations. But yeah. it is a reality in, yeah. in practice here, and it's sad in the sense that sometimes it uh, becomes a system of corruption more than anything else, or at least, if not corruption, at least influence. Uh, right, fed. right, right. That networking. Okay, all right. Uh, Chell, uh, lastly, here we'll wrap it up. Um, you're, you're, of course, running for the Senate, and you have my support, whatever that means. If I can influence to get you 50,000 more votes, man, let, let me try my best to do that. But you've got a lot of other pretty uh, popular influencers. Vice Ganda is the, the number one person that comes to mind. Um, very open about you. can almost says your name like it's a like it's a campaign jingle. Sometimes when I see... Uh, Vice on TV. He's like, Chell Jok, no, Chell Jok. You know, it's just going, like, just absolutely uh, nuts for you. Um, who, who have you tapped influencer-wise? Is, is there a payment going on? Like, when, when somebody sees Vice's almost odd excitement for you, the first thing I go is, I wonder how much Chell paid Vice. <laughs> like, because celebrities, and I, I speak from experience, though I've never been part of that, but celebrities love election season because it's huge amounts of money for them. Nothing tops election um, income, right? Uh, you can have 10 TV shows that year, all super secret. You can do 10 movies. You can do 10 commercials. Nothing touches the amount of money that comes in during election season. So just kind of for everybody out there, are you paying Vice to be this enthusiastic about you? Absolutely not. Actually, I have never even met Vice no and shit. when when she endorsed me in 2019, we were so happy. The team was so happy because it was purely spontaneous yeah. on her part. And again, this this time around, again we had no inkling at all that that um, my name would be said by her and in that manner and in her show to to boot. So it, it's um, I I look forward now to meeting her. I really want to. I I I have to thank her as well. But yeah, what know, a, what a, what an endorsement. What a huge endorsement! And that the same is for the same applies to the other celebrities who have uh, yeah. mentioned me before and now. What do you think is your most unpopular stance on an issue? Um, divorce bill, same-sex marriage, you know, any of the ones that because again, we, we they, they called you woke lolo right for for a while. I'm not sure if people are still on that right, but. Um, <laughs> What's an unpopular stance amongst the general public that you support? Well, one of the things I suppose is the death penalty. The fact that I'm totally opposed to that. You know, it's still a major, uh, many people still believe in the death penalty, even if scientifically it's not been proven to be any kind of deterrent. Right. And um, I have consistently opposed it. And maybe that, that cost me some votes, but this is something I cannot compromise. It, it's something that I've, I've said this so often. You want to stop crime, you make sure that criminals get caught. Yeah. It's the certainty of, of, of the, 
they're being caught that stops them from committing crimes. It's not the severity. You could pass a thousand death penalty laws. It's not going to make a difference. Criminals will still be committing crimes because they know they can get away with it. And that's the sad situation in our country. That they know they can get away with it. I asked, to stop. I, I asked you on the radio show uh, a couple of days ago where you would rank Digong in terms of best president of all time. I'll use the positive, right? <clears throat> best presidents of all time. Top 16. Where would you put Digong? And you said bottom of the list, sharing his spot with uh, um, Marcos, right? Um, 1A, 1B of last place. And what do you, what do you think of the, just the Marcos name here, right? What do you think of this issue we had some weeks back with Tony Gonzaga giving BBM a platform to spread whatever he wants to spread because I was supportive of it. I was supportive of Tony. Have I don't know if you know even know of the issue, right? But let's. Are you aware of the the kind of the feedback people have been giving with Tony Gonzaga having Bong Bong Marcos on her show? Let me start yes, with that. Okay, I am aware. In fact, she she did interview me about um, I think over a month or two yeah, months ago. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. So I'm 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 okay with her having that platform, and I'm okay with him being on her show. I'm okay with him spreading whatever he wants to spread, and I think it's our job to fact check him, call him out, and take her material, recycle it, and feed it back to the public, and go, okay, here's why he's a liar. Um, are you against, I guess, people who give a platform for a Marcos or maybe one of people associated with that era? Well, first let me say that, you know, as a celebrity or an influencer, you you have the freedom to choose who you will interview. Yeah. But you, you also have to accept the consequences of it in terms of people criticizing you Absolutely. for making that choice. Right. Um, um, what, what, uh, however, at the same time, I think I should say that when we do criticize, I hope we criticize um, based on the issues rather than attacking her personally, you know, yung pagkataon niya. Yeah. When it comes to the issue of historical revisionism and especially what happened during the, the Marcos dictatorship, I, I personally really um, can't accept that that can happen because yeah. I saw it firsthand and my father was one of the victims of that dictatorship. Right. That's why for me, I would uh, do everything I could to, to push back and, and to really show what happened during that time. Um, young, but don't you need their lies? Don't you need the material to push back sometimes? Especially with a younger audience who may have not been around, uh, Chell. Like, I need Aimi. I need Bong Bong to talk. I need, I need to hear what they say so I can then rebut. Do you, is that mindset? Yes. Um, like that's the mindset I'm in. I want, give me material. Give me lies. And watch me call you a liar. And that helps actually our cause, right? So he doesn't get elected because now he's that, that a liar, true. right? I recall in 2019 during the campaign, we had the show on, on TV where it so happened. I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but we were put up against each other, me and Amy. Lovely. I don't wow. recall what station it was. And um, she said, she made the comment and I replied. I said uh, something like, uh, you know, I mean, 
wag tayong madala dyan sa sinasabi niya kasi alam naman natin yung nangyari ng panahon ng martial law. And and it was um, picked up a lot by by the yeah. media. That's, that's a gift. That's a gift. Yeah, you have a, you have a point there, yeah. That's a gift. Yeah. So uh, that's all I'm saying. Like, and you're right. If we're going to criticize, criticize the issues, not the person. I, I I don't really know Tony Vervel, and I've never really watched her channel. But I just don't want people to silence her. Let's use that word, silence her, because I don't think it makes us any different than from, say, the DDS crowd who wants people silence, whether it be an ABS or, or whatever, you know, trying to write their own narrative and go with it. I'd rather we just take the material that has been offered to us and do what you did every- I can't believe it. anybody would believe that. That's full of lies. Call them liars and, and call them for what they are, right? So anyway, it's been an hour, so we got to wrap it up. I want to thank you, Chell, for, for being on the show. There's still quite a few questions I would have loved to ask you, but I, I think um, we, we've got a nice little picture of, of who you are here, at least with our audience. Um, like I said, what's great about What's great about this podcast is I don't, I don't have anybody who has, who has to influence what I say and what I don't. I can just say whatever I want. And I'm going to say this. I, I really, really hope you win. And I really encourage everybody out there to do the same and to put some action behind that hope and actually vote for you, sir. Um, we need good human beings. That's my number one quality I'm looking for right now in leadership. And that is a response to how awful of a man that we have as our president. And on top of being a good human being, Chell, you're a very smart, uh, passionate, and, and consistently a consistent good reputation that is much needed. So I wish you were running for president. I know it's probably strategically a bad move. Maybe you can build your way towards that in X amount of years. But right now, you're running for the Senate. I want you to win so badly. And I'll do my part in making sure I can get that message across. So thanks for accepting, but just thanks for being you. Well, thank you so much, Mo. Yeah. It's been great. And I, I look forward to meeting you in person and yep. thanking you in person. I just want to be in a restroom, CR next to you, and <laughs> brush our <laughs> teeth together. Just sit there and like, I'm brushing my teeth with, uh, with Chal Jokno here. This is the greatest day of my life. Uh, how, do, how do people get in touch? How do, how do people get in touch with you? Um, so, Which social media are you most active in? I know you have a team, right? Because there's just no way that you can do all of this on your plate. But is there a social media platform that you prefer most? Is it TikTok? Shit, it might be TikTok. Yeah, you can catch me on, on any of the social media platforms. Just look for Chal Jokno. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, TikTok, uh, yeah. you name it. And you'll find me there. <laughs> right. And again, hopefully we find you in the Senate uh, next year. Thanks, Chell. I appreciate you, I appreciate you sir. Thanks for hanging out. Um, this has been a GTWMA Spotlight edition of the show. Again, not generally the thing we do, but in these kind of circumstances, absolutely. Um, I think I found this to be very compelling. So we'll have more of them, I promise you. But in the next episode, we'll take your calls again as we usually do. Um, have a great, great rest of your day, rest of your week, whenever you are listening.